toward us who believe. Father, we pray for, uh, uh, that for the people, Lord, that their hearts would be good ground, that receive the seed of the word, Lord, that would bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And we thank you, Lord, that you confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to slip over here, and I need to get one of these outlines. Well, we started last week a new subject, teaching on uh, king, the subject of kingdom authority, and we've called this series Exercising Authority. Um, it's, there's a difference between just having something um, and being able to exercise it. How many of you know people got, you know, the picture we got up there on the slide, and you know, he's got a guy putting his bicep up. How many of you know everybody's got biceps? Everybody has, if you have arms and your arms move, you got biceps. How many of you know not everybody exercises their biceps? It's pretty obvious by looking at this picture, and no, it's not mine. Wait a minute. Okay, it's not mine. That's a good-looking arm, right? It's obvious this guy has exercised uh, his biceps. Well, we're talking about authority, and there's a difference between just having authority and exercising it. And as we progress in this teaching, we're going to begin to talk about exercising or putting to use something that you have. Amen? And, uh, you know, I remember when I was going to uh, Bible school, me and Pastor Mike, uh, we were reading, you know, we would read articles in, in weightlifting magazines and stuff like that. And they said back, uh, you know, in the early days before weight training became so popular when it was first gaining popularity, that they, when it first came out, they called it progressive resistance training. In other words, you started out with one thing and you exercised with that. And because you were able to exercise that and develop your strength with that amount of weight, that you could progressively add more weight to the same exercise and you could increase your strength and increase the size of your muscles. And so, therefore, it's called progressive resistance training. And so, you understand this is that your authority as a believer, because you understand this, that when you get born again, when you make Jesus Lord, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that we are translated or transferred out of the domain of darkness, out from underneath that word domain, it, it's literally the word authority. We are delivered from under the authority of darkness. Because you understand this, when you see dark, the word darkness in the Bible, darkness and light is used, you understand darkness is, represent, is used to represent ignorance of God's will and God's word. And the ignorance of that, you know, of course, we know that the Scripture also says, the Old Testament, it says um, that God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, if God's people, if God's covenant people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, how much more people that aren't even God's covenant people, people that aren't even born into the kingdom, people that don't know nothing, they're not even, they're not even in covenant with God. But we understand that when you become born again, you make a covenant with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, you are the supreme in authority in my life, you have say-so, remember, because Lord, supreme in authority. He's, he ha, you have submitted yourself to Him exercising authority over you. At that point, you are, dele, you are delegated authority in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the thing. Lots of people don't realize this. Lots of people don't know I have authority. And we spent the, pretty much the whole uh, teaching last week just teaching what exactly is authority. And there's a difference between authority and power. That, that power is actually the, the, the power or power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to, to use power. We'll put it this way. If, if 
you know, if Joe Citizen goes out and has a gun, and your life's not your, your life is not threatened, your personal safety is not threatened. You just see someone going down the street, you go, "Hey, buddy, stop!" And they just keep on going, and you pull a gun out and you shoot somebody. Well, guess what? You had the power to fire a, to discharge a weapon at someone and to cause injury and to, and to, and to you know decapacitate that person or kill them even with a weapon. But did you have the authority to do that? No. You understand this, that a police officer, someone who has been authorized by the municipal government of a city to operate in something, a police officer, if they have a suspect in line and they say stop, and the person doesn't go, they can, you know, what can they say? They say stop or I'll shoot. You know, you see that in the lawsuit, stop or I'll shoot. Okay? Well, guess what? If that police officer discharges his weapon in the line of duty, and he decapacitates someone or, you know, God forbid their life is taken and him discharging that weapon, guess what? He had authority because the city had authorized him in the, in the name of the, of the city to exercise, to, to, to use the power that was at his, avail, his availability. So there was a difference between power and authority. So if you and you understand this, we brought this out, that all authority comes from, from someone of higher rank. If you can you maybe look back at your notes or you remember this, all authority comes from someone of higher rank to someone of a lower rank. And that authority allows that person who is of a lower rank that as long as they abide by the conditions attached to the authority, they can operate in, they, can, they are authorized to use a, a power that is beyond themselves uh, and, and enables them to do things greater than what they could do as an individual. Why? Because they are submitted to a person of authority. Uh, here, this is just a little nugget for you. You studied out, remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and, and Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you, you, know, you speak uh, correctly. And then Pilate began to interrogate Jesus and Jesus didn't talk to him anymore. Jesus kept his mouth shut. And Pilate said, don't you know i got the power to release you? And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. Now, a lot of people, they read that scripture and they think that they're saying that God gave uh, Pilate authority over Jesus. And that's not really what that scripture is saying. Jesus, Jesus is saying, you wouldn't have any authority to me unless someone above you gave it to you. So Jesus is just like, okay, put you in your place a little bit. You just know this, you ain't got no power yourself. You're only operating in authority that somebody higher up the chain of command gave you. Okay? So you understand this, we talk about what authority was so that we could all get on the same page. Because remember, when you, when you introduce a subject to someone, you always want to have a defining of terms, right? We want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. Because to me, authority might be my mama tell me to do something. If I don't do it, she's going to break a switch off a tree and take a little switch to me when I was a little kid. But you may have came from a home where if you didn't do what mom and dad said, did they stomped a mud hole in you. Hey, man, you all know what I'm talking about, right? They put the beat down on and that you were abused. And so a lot of people, and, th and this whole subject of authority, a lot of people bucket, a lot of people uh, resist any teaching on authority because have there been abuses of authority? Yes. Is it understandable that someone that's ever been in a situation, whether it was abused as a child, abused as a spouse, um, uh, you know, abused by an employer-employee situation, that, you know, the old, the old saying, burn me once, uh, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. Y'all ever heard that? 
Well, how many of you know that you, it is possible for you to be in righteousness uh, with God and do things right, and you might get burned once, and you might get burned twice, and you might get burned three or four times, but just because you got burned once doesn't give you the right to get out of proper alignment. Say this, was Joseph done unfairly? When he went, and he's just minding his daddy. His daddy said, go check on your brothers, see what they're doing. Joseph got there and said, oh, here comes that dreamer. Well, let's get him. Let's take his coat. Let's tear it up and dip it in blood and tell daddy he died. We're going to throw him in a hole. They wanted to kill him. Benjamin talked him out of doing it. Let's just throw him out. Let's sell him into slavery. Was he done wrong? Sure he was. He got burned, right? Okay. Well, get, and guess what? He was just doing what his father told him. He was submitting to the authority of his father. So he gets thrown in jail. I mean, well, he gets sold as a slave, and then they sell him to, to Potiphar, and he goes into Potiphar's house, and you'd think, man, you know, I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to do jack. That dude tells me to do. Because I know, man, I, I minded my daddy, and look what it got me. It got me sold into slavery. Okay? But Joseph didn't do it. Joseph said, okay, I'm going to be submitted to authority. And I'm going to honor this person that's in authority over me. I, I have become his property. He bought me. It wasn't right how it happened. But I'm going to honor this man because he has authority over me. And so he began to honor him. And check this out, man. God blessed him. God blessed him right where he was at because Joseph realized he was honoring God by honoring the man that had authority over him. And he, and he was blessed, and that man's house was blessed because of him. And then guess what? His wife's like, oh, come lay with me, Joseph. Oh, no, I ain't going to do that. How could I do this to God? How could I betray my master? Rape, rape. Okay, you go into jail. So that's twice he got burned. Bless God, I've played by the rules all my life. I, I just don't, you know, I ain't going to do that. Is that the right attitude? No. Joseph gets thrown in jail. Guess what? Even when he's in the jail... He, he, he finds favor with the jailers. Why? Because he goes in, he submits to authority. It's like, I'm going to be the best. You know what? I might be a prisoner. I'm in here and it ain't right. I'm innocent. But you know what? I'm a prisoner, but I'm going to be the best prisoner you got. I'm, you're not going to have any trouble from me. And guess what? They can trust him. And he finds a position of authority there. And, you know, the, the king's servants come in, the cupbearer and the baker come in, you know, uh, are cast into prison with him. He interprets their dreams. You know, is good for the butler, right? Some translations say butler. Some say cupbearer. Now, it's good for him, right? Yeah, you, a couple of days, you're going to get back and, and restored in your position. Pharaoh's going to have you back. What about the baker? Oh, you're dead, dude. <laughs> King's going to take your head. Ain't going to be good for you, right? So the, the, he tells the butler, you know, remember me. When you go back and when you get in your position, remember me. All right. Yeah, I'll do it, man. Okay, he's walking honorably. He's honoring people, right? And so, guess what? Guy goes out, dude forgets him for what, three years, two, three years? You still you still in the hole? Man, that ain't right. I interpret that guy's dream, and he's out of here, man. He's back up in the palace, and I'm down here in the hole. What's up with that? But guess what? Then the, door, the Lord opened up opportunity for him. And you understand, this whole time, Joseph's getting burned. Joseph's getting burned. Joseph's getting burned. But he still says, I am going to submit to those that are in authority over me because just because it's the right thing to do. And you see that even those circumstances in his life seemingly there for a while went from, bad, went from good to bad to worse because he was a person of integrity and he recognized it's just right for me to be, in authority, be submitted to authority of someone. And he did, and he was submitted that God used that Oh, thank you, Lord. And this is a diagram and a blueprint plan for how God promotes people. Hey, 
do you think you understand that when it ended up, Joseph ended up being the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the earth at the time, second only to Pharaoh. And do you think that if when his brothers had, had sold him into slavery, if when he become a slave, he went, I ain't going to be nobody's slave, bless God. I'm out of here, or I'm going to kill my master when he's asleep, and I'm going to get out of here. Could he have derailed his future for God if he had refused to submit to that authority? What if he had if he'd refused to submit it to his father's authority? I ain't going down there checking on them dudes. Man, they don't even like me. It's hard to tell what they might do to me. Right? But he submitted to his dad. Went to jail. Went, went to Potiphar's house. Submitted to that authority. At any point between... Daddy saying, go tend the sheep, and, the, and, and him being called up to interpret Pharaoh's dream, if he had refused to submit it to authority, he could have exited the, the, interstate, the highway of, that was leading him to the destiny that God had. And so many believers make this mistake of they, they going on, they're traveling on a path that God has for them, and God knows, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I got some good stuff in store with you. You just you just need to to decide that you're going to be submitted because this what we're talking about this evening. What we're going to talk about this evening. I'm getting there is the prerequisite to operating in authority because last week we talked about what authority is. And man, every, you want to be you want to be a person that exercises authority. You want to be a person that you know that when a mountain when a mountain something comes up against you in life that's contrary to God's word that you can stand there knowing that you are in righteousness, that you are in right, right alignment with the governing authority, that there's no, that your, own, your heart's not condemning you, that you are in right standing with the king, and that when something pops up that doesn't line up the word, you stand up and you say, no, in the name of Jesus, this is going to change. In the name of Jesus, when, sick, when symptoms come up on your body, you say, no, 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 in the name of Jesus, I command healing into my body. When your baby's sick, and you're going to, and you go and you pray. You're going to lay hands on it, and you know that you're in right standing. You know your heart's not condemning you because, and you and you've submitted yourself to God. You're doing the word, and you say, "No, no, no!" In the name of Jesus, and that mountain moves, huh? That when there when there's attacks coming against you in your in your finances, in your health, whatever the how the attacks manifest, and you know the word that you stand, and when you speak. You speak with authority. That when you speak in the name of Jesus, that demons tremble and circumstances change. And even if you don't see it in the natural, something's happening in the spirit, and you just stand your ground and you just say, that's it, in Jesus' name, it's done. And you don't budge off of it, okay? Because you want to have authority. Amen? You want to have the authority to speak to things and see them change and see them line up with the Word of God. Well, this is the thing. If we're going to know that, there's some prerequisites. Because there's too many people in the body of Christ that, that want to be out there and want to be loose cannons. You know what I mean when I say, I'm a, I'm a rogue, I'm a loose cannon, I don't get submitted to nobody. And see, unfortunately, we live in a culture, the United States of America in general, and, and think about it. Now, no doubt this is the greatest country in the world, but I'll say this, it's not because of our political system. It's because of the influence that the church once had in this country. Now, you let, the, you let the church stop being the church, and you stop letting believers have influence. You let the salt stop being salt, and the light stop being light, and you just give it one generation, and this country won't be any better than any other country in the rest of the world. You mark my words. You mark my words. When the, salt, when the church stops being salt and light, in one generation, this country can go to where? There'd be people down in Texas trying to get back over in Mexico. And you can mark that down. This country, though, is great because of the influence uh, that the church has had on uh, that the church has had 
in this country. We understand this is getting back to authority, walking in authority. We know what authority is. We know that it is, dele- is the delegated right to exercise power that is actually coming from someone else. And so uh, this evening, we want to go ahead and turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read our uh, key text again. Uh, Genesis 1.28. It says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God gave man dominion over the earth. You know, we know over in the book of Psalms, um, it talks about that God gave man dominion over all the works of his hand. And that word dominion means, means rulership. In other words, man, Adam, I am giving you authority. And you understand it wasn't just to Adam, it was to mankind, right? He gave mankind Authority. I am authorizing you on my uh, to act as a governing agent on the planet in uh, on my behalf. Okay, Matthew twenty-eight. We know that uh, Adam sinned. He listened. He he decided that he was going to be. Uh, he was going to obey what the devil said. What Satan said. Rather than God, because remember, God said, I'm giving you dominion. Remember, this is the thing. I want to keep you in remembrance of this. God gave dominion, and he gave authority. He authorized man. And remember, authority always comes with conditions of use. God said, I'm giving you dominion. Just don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Really, just obey my word. Just do what I say. As long as you do what I say, then you've got the authority. Well, we know that Adam did not uh, listen to God. He, the, the, the Bible says in Romans, whomever you yield your members to obey, their servants you become. And so Adam yielded himself to obey what the devil said instead of what God said. And so he ate of the fruit, disobeyed God, and he violated the conditions of his authority. He disobeyed the word of the king. And so at that point, he relinquished his control of the earth, and he gave it to the person that became his master, and that was the devil. Okay, and so we know that Jesus, the plan of redemption, that Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the, the government, the, the kingdom, the government, the rule and reign and the dominion of God, uh, the dominion of heaven is at hand, I'm, which is within reach, I'm coming back to get it and to obtain it. So we know that Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, he preached, he taught, he healed people, he died on the cross, uh, he, he, he uh, rose from the grave, and he brought redemption. And after that, Jesus stands in Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus regains the authority. It's the authority that God gave Adam over there on the earth because, remember, God created the earth for man. God did not create the earth to be void, but he created it to be inhabited. He created the earth and put man on it and said, Look, Adam, here it is. I want you to run it just like me. I'll put it to you in a simpler term, and this might be oversimplistic. Some people might think, well, that's just oversimplistic. It's just like if a father owned a successful business. Um, I knew a a gentleman in West Virginia that um, he he had an entrepreneurial spirit. And he started one business, and because of some, uh, you know, uh, years and years ago, because of some accident, you know, some stuff that he made some honest mistakes in his bookkeeping, because the tax code's not complicated or anything, is it? 
Um, he made some honest mistakes, uh, and the government came in and shut him down, took everything he had. Took everything he had. Um, it, was, it was a sawmill. You know, it was a small bitch head sawmill. Took everything he had. All he had left was a station wagon, and, and him and his family rented a house, I think he said, for 10 bucks a month. And so, you know what? He didn't go say, well, sign me up for a check, you know. He went out, and he said, what can I do? What do I have? What do I got that I can work with? And so he began to go out, and he lived out in the rural area, and he went out and he started a garbage company and started hauling trash in the back of his station wagon. He went out and people said, look, I'll haul your trash off for so much money a month, and he started getting customers. And so he started hauling trash in, his, in the back of his family station wagon, same car his kids rode in, right? He'd just make sure it was good and clean before he'd load the family back up until he made enough money to go pay cash and buy himself a Ford pickup truck. So he went and got a Ford pickup truck, and they started hauling trash in the pickup truck. Well, guess what? He started getting more customers, so he needed two pickup trucks. And he needed to hire somebody to drive the other truck for him. Well, he did this, and, and so he did that probably for 25 years. And at, in 25 years, BFI, I don't know if you know, BFI was a big garbage company up in West Virginia. BFI comes in, and they want to buy his route, just his routes, just the right to run his routes. We want to buy your routes, and we're going to give you over $2 million for it. He's like, well... Praise the Lord. And you understand, he's got into other businesses, you know. Um, he, his brother owns a U.S. mail, con a trucking company that hauls mail, for, uh, hauls mail for the government, and so he's invested in that a little bit. And so this year, sells his routes, the, just the rights to his routes for $2 million. So guess what? He, he started with a station wagon, went to some pickup trucks. Now, you understand, he still had pickup trucks because it's rural trash collection, you know, up the little dirt roads and one-lane roads and stuff like that. But, man, he's got compactors. He's got front loaders. He's got. He's probably got at, at the one business. He's got. He probably got 25 full-time employees. He's got a machine shop where they build in dumpsters, because he used to buy them and he figured out, hey, you know what? I can hire somebody full-time to build my dumpsters and build them the way I want them built, and I can pay him, and it can, it's cheaper than me going out and buying dumpsters. And it's cheaper than me sending them out someplace to be repaired when they need maintenance on on the dumpsters. So, but guess what? Here it is. He sells out all those rats, and guess what? He's got all this stuff. He's got the business know-how to know how to do it. Now, some people might go, that's not real glamorous. It's garbage. Well, you know what? You sell your routes for over $2 million, and I think you can handle the fact that you've slung some garbage in your life, right? His son sees a, a place in southern uh, West Virginia that there's a need for a rural trash collection. So guess what, he, what Dad does? You know what? We're going to take these assets that we have and we're going to give these to you. And we've got to know how. And you know what? I want you to go down there and I want you to go relocate uh, this equipment to another part of the state. And we're going to do the exact same thing there. And just like I ran the business here, you can run the business down there because if it can be a success here and we take these business principles and we apply the same principles and the same laws there and the same business principles and business practices there, it can be a success. And guess what? It was. And it is. So what am I saying is that this gentle, this this man, this businessman, he he. Uh, let's just transpose this. Say God ruled in heaven, reigned in heaven, and knew. You know what? This is the laws that heaven goes by. This is the way the kingdom of heaven operates. And you know what? It's good here. How many of y'all think it's good in heaven? It's good, right? Paul said, you know, if I depart and I go to be with Christ, it's it, it, you know, it's far better for him. Heaven's a good place. Amen. It's going to be nice when we get to visit there for a while. Amen? But you understand God's intention was, 
I'm going to teach my man how to take it. And if he'll operate in my authority, he, he, all he's got to do is just submit to my authority and say, this is how I want you to run it, and you can have heaven on earth. That was God's plan. That was God's plan. So much so that when Jesus came back and he taught people how to pray, he told us to pray that God's will would be done on earth just like it was in heaven, right? Amen. A little bit of review there. Amen. But you understand this. So Jesus got authority. He said, the authority's been given to me, and I'm turning right around, and I'm giving it to you. Amen? Well, you understand this. In order to, uh, in order, this is one of your first fill in the blank here. Um, in order to uh, walk in authority, you must first be submitted to authority. Let's write that in. In order to walk in authority, you must first be submitted to authority. Amen. And uh, we want to say this. The next one says, it's easy to observe. It's easily observed when someone is under authority. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. You know, you can tell when someone is under authority. Thank you, Lord. I want to go back and finish that thought. I started something when I was talking about the United States of America. The United States of America is the greatest country in the world. You're not going to catch people swimming across the Rio Grande going south unless border patrols after them. You're not going to catch people getting on rafts in Miami and paddling toward Cuba, right? They're coming this way. But uh, you understand in the United States of America, we have a, there is a strong part of our national identity that's tied with rebellion, right? We rebe- America, let's just, the unvarnished truth, America was created because it rebelled against a king. And I'll be real honest with you, my understanding of history and, I, and my own uh, you know, admission, I am not a historian, but my own understanding of history is, is that the grievances that the, that the founders of this country had against the king of England that they thought were so grievous that it, that it warranted a severing of political ties with the, the, the British uh, monarchy, we gladly endure much more than that today. Okay, if you look back, I mean, they were, the things they called the intolerables, uh, the intolerable acts was having taxes put on, I think it was like lead and glass and tea and other stuff. Like, I mean, remember the whole Boston Tea Party thing? They were just hacked off because the government started saying, okay, we, you don't have to pay some tax on tea because we fought that whole French Indian War for you. We helped you do that, and we've incurred some debt, and we need y'all to help pay, so we're going to r- raise some tax revenue to help compensate the crown for what we did. And especially here in the South, uh, rebellion, man, is glorified. I about got. I, I thought that the, I thought that the, uh, the church over, the, over in Coffee County that we had some parents that were going to try to crucify me for comments I made to their kids that we were teaching on uh, on submission and authority, and I made the comment. I said, you know, I said here in the South, you know, you know how many times, you know, every time I drive up and down uh, I seventy five, you know. Uh, you see, you know, you get down into Florida a little bit and you see that big uh, stars and bars, that big rebel flag, that big Confederate flag flying that side of the interstate. Now, I'll say this, you know, a lot of people uh, are adamant about the fact. I mean, I talked to a guy, I thought it was a joke at first when he said, you know, he called the Civil War the War of Northern Aggression. And I thought he was joking, but he was serious. And so, and, I, and I'm not saying that everybody, you know, that appreciates their Confederate uh, heritage, that they're all rebels and stuff like that, but... Let's be honest, is there not a segment of the culture down here that they're rebellious, they don't want to submit to authority, they're good old boys, pardon the expression, but they're just hell raisers, and they just want to go, and they, you know, the, we drink, and, you know, we say grace, and we say ma'am, and if you ain't into that, we don't get right. 
Hank Williams Jr., right? And you see these little, you know, they got the little flags blowing, you know. They got the little stars and bars uh, on the back of their truck or something like that. And so there is an element, it's undeniable, there is an element that glorifies just the pure out rebellion. And probably the people that are doing that are so ignorant they probably couldn't tell you jack squat about what the causes of the Civil War was. They just know, we're rebels! You know, that's all, you know, I'm a rebel without a clue, right? You know? I think Franklin Graham wrote a book like that, Rebel Without a Clue. What are you rebelling against? I don't know, we're just rebelling, bless God. You know? You know, we're rebels. Well, you understand this is that because that is so ingrained in the American culture, and particularly in the South, bless God, we're rebels. I'm a Johnny Reb, you know, that when you start talking about submission and authority, the fact that people have been burned before, like I was giving the example of Joseph, you've got some people they've been burned before, you've got this culture of, of glorified rebellion, People, you start talking about rebellion, and people say, bless God, I'm submitted to God. I don't submit to no man. Well, guess what? If, you, if there's not a man that you can say, uh, uh, if, you can't, if you can't find a man on God's earth that you say you're submitted to, you're not submitted to God because there is a, there is a principle that we're going to look at that most definitely does talk about uh, biblical submission. And you're fooling yourself to say, I submit to God, no man. No, God's the one that established authority. And if you don't submit to the authorities that God's put in place, you're not submitted to God. Amen? So, anyway, uh, it's easy to observe when someone is under authority. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to start looking at verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under, the roof, under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Now, you know, over in the book of Luke, we also get this, uh, this example in the book of Luke, chapter uh, 7. Turn over there real quick. And while you're turning there to Luke, chapter 7, I want you to notice something. This is a man that he is, you understand, Rome at this time, Rome has occupied uh, the region of Palestine. There's no country of Palestine, never has been a country of Palestine. The whole concept of there ever being someone called a Palestinian is a farce. Don't get me on my political soapbox about that. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. There's people who live in a, because, because I'll, I'll give you this little nugget. I'll go ahead and say it. Because to be an American, there had to be a country or a nation called the United States of America. That's why we're Americans. Guess what? There's no such thing as an Appalachian, is there, Brother Kirk? There's someone from the region of Appalachia, but Appalachia covers, you know, you can go to North Georgia, you can go to Tennessee, you can go to North Carolina, you can go to West Virginia, you can go parts of Virginia, you can go on up into Pennsylvania. The Appalachian Mountains covers that region, and you can have someone from a from a place, from, it, from the region of Appalachia, but there's never been a country or nation called Appalachia, so I can't be an Appalachian. I'm a West Virginian, and West Virginia is part of the region of Appalachia. Okay? You can be from Tennessee, and you can uh, be a Tennessean, that, and, and you are a, that is your identity, but this whole thing of there are Palestinians, there has never in the history of mankind ever been a country, a nation, or kingdom called Palestine. Therefore, it's a misnomer to ever say that there's such thing as a Palestinian. 
There are Arabs who live in the region of Palestine. Okay? That's my little Middle Eastern soapbox. Straight that up, right? <coughs> because it's important. Because the whole region's on fire right now. And the whole world's going to burn down around that region going down into meltdown because of something that's a complete manufactured crisis. Palestinians are misplaced. The Palestinian, the Arabs that live in the region of Palestine that live within the borders of Israel have a higher standard of living than any other Arab in the rest of the whole world except for Arabs that move to America. Amen. That's the political science in me. Amen. You understand this, though, that that whole region of, of Palestine, though, that Jesus ministered in, they were conquered and under the subjection of the Roman government, the Roman Empire. And this centurion is a man in the military of the Roman Empire. And the, and the word centurion, it means that he has a, a centurion had a hundred soldiers under him. That's where, you know, centurion is based on the same word where if we get century, that means a hundred years or, uh, or, or a cent. A penny is one cent, it's a, it, and that means that it takes a hundred of them to make a dollar. So he's a centurion. He is a man of authority. He has a hundred soldiers that he's in charge over. He's, he's basically the drill instructor and the commander for a hundred Roman soldiers. He is a representative of an occupying, conquering government over that place, and Jesus happens to be a Jew in a subjugated territory. But this man said, the centurion, when he comes to Jesus, he says, Lord, I'm not even worthy that you come under my roof. That indicates something to you. This, this centurion walked in humility. He could have said, yeah, it could have been the other way around. He said, ah, boy, you ain't worth coming in my house. Who do you think you are? You're just some Jewish dog. I, I'm a, I am a commander in the Roman Empire military. You don't come to my house. Don't you be coming to me telling me you come to my house to heal my servants. No, you, you just do it. No, he didn't do that at all. His approach was one of humility. His approach was one of, he recognized, okay, I might be this in the world. I might be this in the Roman Empire, but in the spirit, this man's greater than me, and I need to be submitted to him in this realm. I need to honor this person right here. I understand this. Uh, Luke, what did we say? Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 7, right? Yeah. Luke chapter 7 is the, uh, the same account is recorded. Um, it says. Now when he had concluded all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews uh, of the Jews to plead with him to come and heal his servant. And when they had came, Jesus begged and earnestly saying, uh, The one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built a synagogue. And Jesus went with them and was... Uh, he was already not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy that you should enter my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed for I also am a man placed under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So this guy is telling Jesus, he said, he said I am a man under authority also. Okay, let's look at this word also. If I say, if I say, uh, Pastor Mike Krulsik, he 
lifts weights. He works out at World Gym on US 1 in St. Augustine, Florida also. If I say that, what can you conclude about me? That I do it also. I do it too. I do it also. I do it too. That what I just said about him, if I say also, it means I'm the same way. So this guy saying, if I, you know, if I say, if I say it this way, because this is putting, let's just put it in the way the guy said it. If I say I work out at 5:30 a.m. at a World Gym on US One in St. Augustine, Florida, and Pastor Mike does also. I've I've told you this about myself, but because I say and Pastor Mike Krulsik does also, then you know that Pastor Mike Krulsik works out at 5:30 a.m. at World Gym in St. on US One in St. Augustine, Florida, right? Because I have said also that's what verse. So this centurion tells Jesus, he says, "I am a man under authority also." So the implication is this guy has seen Jesus, he observes him, and he knows Jesus. I have observed you are someone that's under authority. You are submitted to someone. So much so that even the Pharisees, when Jesus began to teach and he began to preach, because remember, Jesus' ministry was what? He preached, he, pre- he taught in the synagogues, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed the sick. And so when he did that, the Pharisees said, by whose authority are you doing these things? Who's, who's authorized you to do this stuff? People, the point, and the point is, and it's on your sheet here, it's easy to observe when someone is under authority. You understand this, that when you're under authority, the fact you're under authority, it demands discipline in your life. Do you know this? Do you know that if you're in the military, and, we, and, you, can, and you use this, it's such a great example. You know you're in the military, and you know you ain't got... Amen. <laughs> You know, you, you suspend some of your rights when you go in the military. Some people don't want to believe that, right? But let me ask you, okay, as, as a civilian in the United States of America, do we have freedom of speech? Then you say anything you want to, right? Now, some people need to realize just because you have the freedom to say anything that you want does not mean you're free to say that without suffering any consequences on your job or with your friends or in society. It just means the government's not going to persecute you for what you say, right? Some people just need to figure that out. But you understand this, you go into the military, guess what? If you like your drill instructor, or if you don't like your drill instructor, you go into boot camp, they shave your melon, and they put you in boot camp, and they somebody shaking your behind out the cot at 4.30 in the morning, yelling at you, calling you names you don't particularly like, and they, feed, and they, and they talking down their nose to you, guess what? If you're smart, you don't start popping off stuff that comes in your mind about what you think about your drill instructor, right? Why? Because you in the Army now, boy, or you in the Marines now, boy, or you in whatever branch of the military, and you in it. And this is the thing. You don't have, and if you want your tenure in the military to go well, you figure out real quick, you know what? I, don't have, I can't just say anything pop in my mind. I can't just do anything I want to do because I'm in the Army, and there are expectations of me and I'm going to have to comply with those if I want if I want my military experience to be a good one. I've, I've shared this story before. I had a friend in high school that, uh, you know, we weren't tight. I, he was an acquaintance of mine. But one of the most rebellious people you'd ever meet in your life. I mean, he played soccer, and, and he liked fighting more than playing soccer. He just played soccer because it, it was a good way to have a regular fight, you know, a regular scheduled fight. 
And uh, he went into the military, went in with the same attitude. He was rebellious against his stepfather, which his stepfather was an alcoholic. That contributed to his rebellion. But he was rebellious against his stepfather, rebellious against his mother, went into the military, went into the Marine Corps, decided he was going to be rebellious and take a couple of uh, sucker punches at his DI, his drill instructor, and his drill instructor hammered him. First time, broke his jaw. Second time, he decided he was going to take a swing at him, beat him up so bad that, that he had, that he, you know, I think you know, he got you know, busted up pretty bad and had to go to the infirmary, and then he got a dishonorable discharge. Because he would not submit to authority. Why? Well, you need to realize this is that <coughs> this is the thing. Can you tell? Can you tell when you go to work the employees that are submitted to the boss and the ones that ain't? Right? You know why? Because the one the boss will tell them to do something. They think the one start running off at the mouth, get that little head wagging, give some attitude to the boss. Well, guess what? That person's not submitted. Guess what? Have you ever? And this thing. Can you tell if someone, if the boss comes up and says, uh, Kirk, I need you to do this, this, and this, and it's not what your normal plan is. You've got a route, but say your supervisor comes in and says, Kirk, I know this is your regular route, but while you're there, I need you to go to this stop and pick this one up because, you know, for some reason. And Kirk's going to say, yes, sir, I'll do it. You can tell the people who are submitted and under authority and ones that aren't because people who are submitted to authority, there's a discipline in their life, Right? They're, they are disciplined, and they're not and they're not confrontational. And here's another thing: Have you noticed the people that are, that that do not want to submit to authority? It just seems like that life's a whole lot rougher for them. On the job, they don't want to submit to a boss. They want to run off at the mouth. Well, they're the ones that are always in trouble, always getting called in on the carpet, always getting rode up. But it ain't their fault, right? You know, got called in on the carpet, got fired, but it ain't my fault. I got framed, right? Okay. And I'm not saying there's not instances where that doesn't legitimately happen, but if someone has a, a, a proclivity toward being rebellious and not wanting to be submitted to authority, it just seems like they attract a whole lot more trouble, don't they? Well, this centurion saw Jesus, and he said, he said, I see that you're under authority. I'm just going to give you this right down. Matthew 21, 23. The scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus. They want to know by what authority he did the things that he did. The third thing on your sheet we want you to fill out is Jesus was under the authority of God the Father. And we've given you several scriptures. We need, we need to understand this, is that Jesus was a man who operated under authority. And this is the thing, it's so funny. Remember the little bracelets a few years ago that were so popular? What would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? How popular those were? Well, this is the thing. If, if we would, if people, if that wasn't just a cliche, if people really would ask themselves, how would Jesus behave in this situation? That would really, you understand, Jesus was the most submitted man that, uh, that ever walked the earth. I'm going to go ahead and give you this. This is a quote that's uh, further on down the sheet here. It's, um, it's actually the last fill in the blank on your sheet. But I want to go ahead and get this to you. It, um, I've got there the level of spiritual submission you walk in is directly proportionate to the level of spiritual authority you will operate in. I'm going to say that again. The level of spiritual submission you walk in is directly proportionate to the level of spiritual authority that you will walk in. In other words, you understand this. And submission to God and submission to the Lord Jesus, I mean, it means... That the, well, let's just look at this. The word submission, first of all, it just means 
in, in English, submission. Sub, we understand, is a prefix that means under and mission. So in other words, if you are submitted, if you, have sub, if you are a person who walks in submission, it means that your desires, and man, this is, you just can't get away from lordship. You cannot get away from lordship. Submission means you put aside your wants, your desires, and you bring your will alongside underneath someone else's mission. Submission. I'm coming in under your mission. In other words, your objective, your mission, what you've got, your plan, I'm putting my stuff aside, and I'm coming in under yours, and and I'm making your mission my mission. Jesus Christ was the most submitted person. Let's just look at some scriptures real quick. Okay? Because you understand this, that there is no power struggle going on in heaven. There is no, uh, you know, it's not like uh, some companies, it's, there's not a situation where God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost are having a power struggle. Who's going to have the most influence? No. No, 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 no. There is a, you understand this, is that in the Godhead, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, but it, the Bible says these, these three are one. That literally, it, it means they're in agreement, Right? It means everything they do, there, there is harmony to what they do. But there is a rank. There is a rank. And the Lord Jesus said this. Uh, turn to John chapter 10. I'm, I'm going to start with verse 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and my Father am one. Now some people would say, Oh, see, now they're one, so Jesus is saying he's co-equal with the Father. No, he's just saying me and my Father, we're in unity. We are on the same page. In other words, when you say, I want, it's the other way said, we're on the same page. And why is that? Because Jesus said, my Father is greater than all. He's greater than everybody. Jesus is saying there is a rank, and, it, and, and God the Father uh, is in that rank. Turn to, you're there in John uh, chapter 10. Turn to John chapter 14. John 14, 28. This is some of my favorite passages of Scripture. John chapters 14, 15, 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, you know, at the last, what we call the Last Supper. And I think it's probably some of the most powerful words that Jesus spoke because he knows it's the last, you know, the last time before the crucifixion that he was going to be able to speak to the disciples. But verse 28 says, You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Right? So Jesus there again. Jesus is saying the Father is greater than he is. Turn to John chapter 7. And keep this in mind. What I'm establishing is Jesus was a man under authority. Remember the centurion observed it. And Jesus testifies of it. Amen? John 7, starting with verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. Now, authority is in there 
in italics, which means the translators added that just for, uh, to help you understand. Sometimes it's a help, sometimes it's not. It's a distraction. But Jesus said, I don't speak on my own. He who speaks uh, uh, from himself seeks his own glory, but he who uh, seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So Jesus is saying, if someone, you know, if someone sent has sent you, and you speak what the other person says, if someone sends a messenger out, and the person faithfully relays the message of the other person, they're not seeking their own. But if you tell somebody to, to tell somebody something, and they go, here's the example. I like to keep it simple. Y'all hear this in a couple of years. How many of you grew up with brothers and sisters? Older brother, older brother and sister. Do you have an older brother and sister? Do you have a younger brother and sister? All right. Okay. Yeah, now we're getting down here to brass tacks, ain't we? Okay. Did you ever, when you were growing up, if you had a younger brother or sister, they were get they were in their room doing something, or they were someplace else, and your mama or daddy said, "Nikki, go." To, is your sister? Nikki, go tell your sister to do such and such. Go help your go help your go tell your sister. I want her to help you clean up your room. Okay. Here's just an example. And you go in the room. What's your sister's name? Jennifer. Jennifer and Ashley. Jennifer, Ashley, a uh, mama sent me in here, and mama told me to uh, tell y'all clean this room up. Bye. <laughs> you better clean it. Now, did you ever do that, brother Kirk? Your younger siblings? You ever do it to your younger siblings? Mama said you better chop to it, hop hop. You know, chop chop hop, sing, get it done, right? Well, guess what? You went and you spoke something of your own, right? Why? Because what did Jesus say here? Jesus said, He said, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. And you understand when we're talking about glory, you know, that word glory literally means weightiness of God. When you're, when you're, one of the things that's included when we're talking about the glory of God is the weightiness of God. And I've said before, it's like the weightiness. You, hear, you ever heard the saying, throwing your weight around? It's your influence. When the earth's filled with the glory of the Lord, it's His presence, but His weightiness is there and His influence is there. And that's why it's glorious, because His presence, His influence is exerted upon the earth and His will is being done on earth just as it is in heaven. So that example of you going in as a child and you speaking your thing. But Jesus is saying, you back up that, the verse 17, says, he says, but uh, he said the doctrine, uh, he said, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak of my own authority. Jesus said, that, look, the doctrine, what I'm teaching, doctrine is just teaching. Jesus is saying the teaching that I'm teaching you, it's not my own teaching. It's the Father's teaching. So in other words, I don't have an agenda. I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm not seeking my own thing like you telling your little sister, uh, Mama said you clean the room now. Get to it. Get hopping, right? You were seeking your own. You were taking something that Mama said and giving a little bit of it, but to steer stuff to your own good. Jesus said, I'm not doing that. I'm speaking exactly what the Father said. My doctrine's not my own, right? Understand this? Um, let me see. John, you're there in chapter 7. Turn to John chapter 8. I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 26. And we're going to read about 12 verses. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak uh, to the world those things which I heard from him. Uh, they did not understand that he spoke uh, to them of the Father. Then Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. 
and he who sent me is with me. Uh, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Always. Always. Do. In other words, he's saying, I am always, so I always do what God wants me to do. And as he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, the son makes you, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Well... Praise the Lord. Jesus take a you know, little friendly dialogue with the Pharisees, right? But you understand this passage, Jesus is saying, I am not, what I'm speaking, I'm speaking what I saw the Father. I speak what the Father does. I only do what pleases Him. So you understand this, is that, it, that He did what pleased God. Um, John 12, 44 through 50, just another place where uh, Jesus said He only spoke what the Father told Him to, to speak. And there again in John 14.10, you can just write that down, 14.10, Jesus again, we read 14, uh, some excerpts out of 14, but Jesus said, I'm not speaking on my own authority. I do not speak on my own authority. Um, I actually don't have this scripture wrote down, but let me see if I can find something real quick. I want, to, I want to prove something to you. Some people go, oh, yeah, but he was Jesus. He was Jesus. Um, here it is. Matthew 26. Some people say, oh, that was easy for him. He was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. He didn't have, he didn't have any other desire but to do anything that was the Father's will. Now, get this. I have said this before, and this is a powerful statement. Do you know that it is not hard to obey God? The hard part is in the wanting to obey God. Okay? And Jesus, the Bible says he was a man. He was tempted in all ways. So that tells me that Jesus, and a lot of people don't think this, and a lot of people don't want to, they haven't entertained the thought, and a lot of people just flat reject it. Jesus had a will. Jesus had temptation to do stuff that was not the Father's will. He, he was, was he tempted in every way? Does the Bible say he was tempted in every way yet did not sin? Right? In other words, so everything, if God said, Jesus, do this, did he have the temptation not to do that? Did everything that God tell him, was there? did Jesus have to face a temptation? Well, I just don't want to do that. Right? Listen to this. When he was praying in the garden, then Jesus came. This, uh, Matthew twenty six thirty six. Then Jesus came to them to, with a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, "Sit here while I go pray over there." And he took the, uh, with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, "My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me." He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me." Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus went to the garden. It's coming right down to the crucifixion. What has to be done to complete the plan, you know, to the next step in the completion of the plan of redemption. And Jesus is saying, he said, Lord, he said, if it's your will, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not what I will. Well, what was his will? His will was that the cup could pass. God, if there's another way, because I know it's fixing to be brutal. You ever, you know, he was he was beaten. The Bible says in one place 
Uh, I believe it's over in Isaiah, isn't it, Brother Kirk, where it says that he was be- that Jesus, it was prophesied that Jesus said that he was beaten so severely that his visage or his face, his appearance, his visage was so marred you could hardly tell that he was a man. You could hardly recognize him. In other words, his mama, if she didn't see what was done to him, if, if, if like if someone took Jimmy and he was just beaten with a gang and beaten with something and you didn't see the beating take place and you go into a hospital room and look at him and not even recognize I've been in that situation before where there were uh, members of my family that had sickness and disease on them that I hadn't seen them as the disease progressed and go in to see them and their body, their face be so distorted in pain and swelling that if I had just walked in the room and hadn't seen family, I wouldn't even recognize them. And so Jesus knows this ain't going to be a pleasant thing that I'm going through, but he says, nevertheless, not what I will. Now understand this, let's just make it plain. Will means want. Want to do, right? Jesus said, listen, Father, you know, if, it's, if it's there, if there's any other way, if it's your will, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not what I want, what you want. Right? So Jesus, obviously, Jesus had a will that was something other than to go through the beating and to be crucified. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus was the most submitted per- Jesus was the most submitted person to ever walk the face of the earth. Amen? Uh, let's look at some stuff here real quick. Um, turn to Philippians chapter... Chapter 2. While you're turning, I'm going to give you this real quick. Jesus in Matthew 20, you can write this down, Matthew 23, 12, and Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Whoever humbles himself, and you understand that, that humble, the, the verb of humble means to... Uh, Submit your, it literally means to submit yourself to the will of another. I'll humble myself. You know, there's an adjective humble that means someone has the, the character or the attribute of being of willing, willing to submit themselves to someone else. But the verb, the action tense of humble means, you know, I will def, I'll defer. That's actually one definition means to defer to the desire of another. Okay? Um, but uh, Philippians 2, Amen? Um, let's look at I'm going to start with verse 3 it says let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself you know this is written to the whole church even the people you know Jesus said when he told his disciples he said you're not to lord your authority over one another as the Gentiles do he didn't say you're not to have authority Jesus didn't say no authority exists in the church. He just said that people in authority aren't supposed to lord it and domineer it and dominate because you understand Adam's dominion that was given to him was never to be exercised over other men. It was over the fish of the sea, birds of the air. It was over the works of God's hand, but it wasn't over other men. And so um, so everybody, man, would that not straighten out a whole lot of problems in the church right now? If everybody, if everybody just did... Uh, I'm not going to do anything through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, I'm going to esteem others better than myself. You know, if something's wrong with you as a believer, it just it's an indication of your spiritual maturity if you just don't esteem other people as being more valuable and precious to yourself. And, I, and that applies even to the pastor. You know, there's no room in the Bible for a pastor to feel like, well, I'm a big I and you're a little you. Right? Every member of the body is, is valuable, and every member of the body has to fulfill their assignment. 
right? Just because just because uh, someone is a pastor and operates in a pastoral role and there's a pastoral anointing, and because of the role that God's called them to be in, the role itself demands that there has to be authority exercise. That still doesn't mean that the pastor has the right to look down his nose and say, "Well, you know, you're just a little peon, and I, you know, and I'm the, I'm the big dog. I'm the big I'm the big boss man, and the wheels keep rolling." Amen. That's why Pastor Shine's papa used to say that. He'd get in a big way. I'm the big boss man, and the wheels keep rolling. Because he, you know, he was boss where he worked. Amen. You understand this? So Philippians, uh, we keep on reading. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. That doesn't mean you're a busybody sticking your nose in other people's business. It means you're vested in seeing your brothers and sisters succeed. I just tell you, if you haven't listened to it or it's been a while, you ought to listen to that, that teaching I did on, uh, on my brother's keeper. Because that gives you a little bit of a, a glimpse of what God's intention is uh, for the community of the body of believers for the church, how we're supposed to be. You're not just supposed to be selfish. Well, what's in it for me? What benefit do I get out of it? Because, you know, if you do this, if, you, if, if the church really operates the way it is and we're esteeming others more highly than ourselves and we're looking out for other people's interests and how can I make you succeed, God's going to make sure there's somebody else that's going to come along beside you and say, what can I, you know, because if Jimmy and Nikki go, man, what can we do? What can I do to make this church succeed? What can I do? What can I do? You find a brother or sister, what can I do to help them succeed? How, what, what, can, what can I do? God's going to make sure that somebody else comes alongside and says about you, what, man, what can I do? What can I do to help them succeed? What can I do to invest into them, right? Anyway, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's telling you, this mind, let this way of thinking be in you that was in Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient uh, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So this is the thing. Jesus was the most submitted person on the face of the planet to God, to God the Father. He humbled himself. He was in the form of God. He, he was the Word of God. He was in heaven. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to set all that aside. I'm going to submit myself, and I'm going to become obedient to what the will of God is, what the will of the Father is, and I'm going to do it. And as a result of his obedience and him humbling himself and him saying, not my will, but what the Father says, not what I want to say in this situation, but what God wants to say. Huh? That's our example. What would God say in this situation? You might want to smack somebody in the mouth. You might want to spit on them. You might want to cuss somebody, amen? But what would God have you say? You might want to say, I told you so. Or you might want to say, you're no good. But God, but what would God say? God might want you to say, you're valuable. You've got, you've got valuable things in you. You just need to change the way you think about stuff. That you don't, that you don't rail against somebody. But Jesus, he spoke what God would say. His agenda was the Father's agenda. And because he was willing... And this is the thing, people in the world, they will fight and scratch and claw and stab people in the back, and they'll do the same thing in the business world too. I'm talking about the church, amen? <laughs> amen. But in the business world, in the church, in whatever environment that there is where there's any rank and position, man, people will do everything they can to try to get ahead and to try to get over it. But this is the thing, is that Jesus is saying, look, I just put, but, 
Humility is God's path to promotion. Humility, humbleness, being submitted to God's Word, being submitted to the Spirit of God, what the Holy Ghost would have you to do, that is God's key to promotion. And when you do that, the Bible says it's no coincidence that Jesus, that Jesus was the most submitted person and that he was also the most highly exalted. It said, because, listen, it says that the name of Jesus, and you understand in the Bible when it says, in the, when you say in the name of Jesus, or the Bible says in the name of Jesus, the name represents authority, right? Remember if someone said, uh, stop in the name of the king, or someone, you could, they're literally saying, in the authority of the king, stop. This is whose authority I'm making. So the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, or in the authority of Jesus, at the authority of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. Amen? It says that Jesus was highly exalted, and get, not just exalted. And you understand that word, to exalt, means to be cast out beyond the norm. If you study that word out, it literally means that something is to be picked up and propelled beyond what the normal uh, normal range of accomplishment could be, right? So Jesus was not just exalted; he was highly, greatly, and exceedingly exalted. And it's not a coincidence because remember that quote that I gave you that the level of your the level of your uh, spiritual submission is directly proportionate to the level of spiritual authority you'll walk in. So we see that Jesus did that. Amen? Uh, we back up real quick. Another word, uh, fill in the rest of these blanks, another word for submissive is humble. And do you know that it's not, uh, it, it's not pride? I remember it's so funny. When I was going to Rhema, one of the classes, the instructors were teaching, and he said, how many people in here could, would raise their hand and say you're humble? And yet the gears started turning. Oh, if I raise my hand and say I'm humble, then you're going to say, oh, you're in pride because you're saying you're humble. And you know, they, and we're in this auditorium. There's a, there's probably eight hundred, a thousand people because it was one of the collective uh, classes where everybody from all the different concentrations were together. Out of a thousand people, two people raised their hand, and all the rest of us. And I was, I wasn't one of them. I didn't raise my hand. Well, I ain't raising my hand because you know I'm sitting there thinking, oh, if I, I'm one of the ones that's sitting there thinking, oh, if I say I'm humble, you're gonna go pop and pop my bubble. Say, how dare you have so much pride that you say you're humble? Right? And the instructor said, So you're humble. How do you know you're humble? Asked, asked both of them. And they said, Because I'm submitted to God and I do what He says. And they said, So you mean to tell me that you all, you too, you know, he kind of put on the heat just a little bit to see if everybody's going to Yeah, boy, y'all going to get it now. He said, You know exactly what it means to be humble and, and there's nothing wrong with saying that you are. Because when you say you're humble, all you're saying is, I'm submitted to the Father. Did Jesus say, okay, because another word, this thing, another word for humble is submissive. Another word for humble and submissive is meek. When you see in the Bible that word meek, we, we think meek just means, I'm just a little softy. I just really don't speak up. I don't even talk that much. You hardly ever know I'm in the room because I'm just a meek person. That's not what the Bible means when it says meek. Amen? We'll give you this other example real quick. Here, we're going to wrap this up quickly. Um, give you the Old Testament example. Amen. Turn to Numbers chapter 12. Can, would, could we all agree? Can we all just get along? Could we all agree? Who was Jesus is absolutely the most influential person 
of the entire New Testament, the whole focus of the New Testament is on him, could we agree that in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the most influential, most powerful and influential figure in the Old Testament is Moses, right? Moses, look at Numbers chapter 12, uh, verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Does anyone have a King James Version handy? Do we have a King James Version? Here's one. Let me see if what it says in the King James Version. No, this is New King James. Here's his. Yeah, this is New King James. Does he have a New? He has, did he have a King James? What's a King James say in that, Brother Kirk? King James says, Now the man Moses was very meek. Now, says he was the meekest person, right? says he was the meekest one. Jesus said over in the New Testament a couple of places, Matthew is one place, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So Jesus said, I'm meek. Bible testifies of Moses. Moses was the meekest man. Other translations say humble. So we see submissive, uh, uh, submissive, humble, meek. They're used interchangeably. You understand this? This is the same Moses that in Exodus 32, 19, when people were worshiping, um, you know, uh, they got off into worshiping the, the idols, and Moses said, um, everybody wants to serve God. I'm going to draw. Everybody wants to serve God. Come on over here. Okay? Here they come. Okay, now kill all the rest of them. Because, see, when we think meek, we think, you know, let's be honest. Okay? We think, man, somebody's a wuss. Oh, you're a wuss. Right? You're, you're a sissy boy. You're a wimp. Really? Is that, is that what we, you hear people? The word meek is not usually a word that the world uh, holds in high regard, right? If you say something, oh, they're just really meek. A lot of people in the world, they mean it as an insult. Well, that's not what it means at all. Was Jesus wimpy when he walked into the temple and he was just enraged when he saw people turning the house of God, the temple, what was supposed to be, his father's house was supposed to be a place of prayer, and Jesus starts flipping tables and getting a rope and running some people out? Come on now, I'm going to come upside your head with a whip, right? So Jesus was meek. Moses was the meekest person uh, that there was. So you understand this, that meek just means when God says do something, when the Word says do it, when the Holy Ghost says do it, you do it. Jesus did it, Moses did it, and so here's the example in the New Testament, the most influential person in the world, the most influential uh, person and the person that walked in the highest degree of spiritual authority in the New Testament is Jesus. And he is, can we all agree that he is the most humble, most submitted, because he never even spoke one thing that wasn't God's will. All right? We can't say that about Moses. The Bible records one thing that Moses did when the Lord said, Speak to the rock, and he smote the rock. And that one act of disobedience cost him of actually being able to go into the inner, enter into the, the promised land. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. 
Right? Somebody else might have been able to smack that rock and got away with it, but not the man that spoke to God face to face, like Moses. So what's your point, Pastor Ryan? My point is this. Moses walked in unprecedented authority. Okay? And the Old Testament's full of it. It's full of examples. What about Joshua? Man, how much authority do you have to have to command the sun to stand still and it stops? And Joshua was a man who was just like his mentor. He was a man submitted to God, right? Jesus walked in tremendous authority to the fact that that when he spoke to things, and you understand this, Jesus didn't, and we said this last week, Jesus didn't just go around indiscriminately, and we said this when we were talking about healing, Jesus didn't just go around indiscriminately going, oh, be healed, be healed, be healed, be, eyes be open, ears be open, get up and walk. He didn't do that. We use the example of the pool of Bethesda. There's lots of sick people around the pool. And Jesus walked right through them, but he spoke to one. What made the difference? The Holy, the, the Holy Spirit, the Father said, this is the one. This is the one. He'll receive. Do it. So, we see that success, God's thing of success, walking in authority, speaking the things, is you're in complete submission to God's Word because this thing we, we mentioned is something, is that when you, when you don't comply with the Word, when you don't comply with what the Holy Ghost is telling you, you, you stepped over into unrighteousness. And this thing, don't be freaking out about it. Don't be free. Oh, what if I miss the Holy Ghost? I get out of life. No, no, you ain't going to miss him. How many people could just honestly say, I mean, you all are baby Christians still, really. And that's not an insult. You all are baby Christians. You've not been, you've, you know, you've been in church before, but you're baby Christians right now. This is like, do you recognize when the Holy Ghost speaks to you to do something? Do you reckon when when he spit, when he puts something on you, you know, you, this thought, and this is usually how it works: a thought comes to your mind, and then the and then the internal turmoil starts. Do I do that? Should I do that? Do I just do that? My heart's about to beat out of my chest. Does it line up with the word? Well, yeah, but the Bible would say to do this. You know? Okay, I'm gonna do it. And then as soon as you do it, man, your pulse stops. You're like, Glory to God, I did it, right? So, yeah, I mean, my, and my point is that even at, at, as spiritual babes, you know the voice of the Father. You know when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. So you don't freak out. So you don't freak out. But this thing, walking in authority. When He speaks to you, you recognize His voice because He's always speaking what the, it lines up with the Word. And you step out and you do it. When you do that, you're, you're in righteousness. I had the opportunity today, Holy Spirit, I, you know, I came in town today, went and got some lunch. And uh, a situation came up. Holy Spirit said, do this. And I heard him at first and, and, and kind of walked off. And, you know, if I hadn't have done what he said, I would have had to have prayed and, and repented and asked the Lord for, to forgive me because I'd have been stepped. Because whatever is not a faith is a sin. And faith, faith is just obedience to the Word and to the Spirit, right? And so you understand this. You're going to walk in authority. So let me ask you a couple other questions. Amen? We got here. Um, who decides if you're humble? You do. And like I said, this um, certain you know being obedient to God is not hard. Um, if Jimmy goes to work and Jimmy normally runs a crane, 
what's the most gut-busting, menial job there, job where you work? Everybody hates, man, it's just guys get sore all the time. Is there some manual labor that people do all the time that they hate? Just being on the ground, working on the ground. If, if Jimmy goes in to work, and they say, Jimmy, we know you usually run a crane, but such-and-such uh, such is going to pull a double today on the crane. We've got a shortage down here on the ground on grunt work. We want you to do that. Okay? Your preference would be be up in a crane, right? Sitting in a crane, listening to some good teaching going on. Say, man, look at them guys down on the ground busting their guts. I'm glad I'm up here working this crane, right? If that happens, who decides how you react? You do, right? I, you have to decide. And this is the thing. As, as we grow up spiritually, you know, the, actually doing it, it act, the want, wanting to do it is harder than just going and doing it. Because your flesh don't want to. You will don't. No, man, it's more comfortable sitting in that crane, running it and watching the rest of them guys walking around sweat running down their face, right? But if you just went ahead and said, well, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do it, is it, is it, ca- it ca- they'll cause, it'll cause more frustration you just wanting to get to the point where you're willing to comply with it than just going ahead and, okay, well, praise the Lord.